Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast. We're on episode 19, boys. We've come a long way. Uh, I'm your host, Adi Bulubasis. With me is Lambro. And then we have Costa and Mo joining us. Costa, as you all may well know, from Olibiakos EU. And Mo, we have joining us, giving us some insights for Marseille. How are you boys doing today? Good, thanks. Thanks for the invite. Pleasure to be here. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. Of course. It's always a pleasure. Uh, you may notice Peter is missing. Uh, he will be joining us again for the midweek series. Uh, and before we go on, we do have some housekeeping, uh, standard week-to-week -week, uh, housekeeping. We want to wish a happy belated birthday to our very own Peter Thompson. We forgot to do it last week. We do love Peter. Sorry we forgot his birthday. But yes, it was his birthday last week. And then another contributor of ours, Eris Belubasis. This is not me. This is my cousin. We have the same name. He's kind of like our unspoken manager, helps us stay organized. Thank you, Eris, and happy belated birthday. Other housekeeping things to take care of. Coming up this week for the midweek series, uh, we have Michael Vicini, uh, another writer from Elas Football. As you all know, you can follow Elas Football at Elas Footy. And he will be joining us for midweek series. He is a Larissa supporter. And we're going to be looking to get that alternative take on all things Greek soccer from him. Next Sunday on the 25th, we're going to be joined by Theo Boras from Agona Sport. He's an Olympiakos correspondent and has written many articles commenting on various issues relating to Olympiakos. New guest coming up. It'll be slightly delayed for October 28th. We do have Antonios from Elas Football as well. He is a Panathinaikos correspondent. So we're going to be getting some insights from our arch rivals. We're going to go into the rivalry a little bit, as well as what's going on with their team. Finally, on Sunday, November 1st, we have the return of Bob Beans. As you guys know, Bob Beans at Olibiakos English, Olibiakos underscore E-N-G. And please don't forget to visit his website at threelosworld.com for more English articles and information about Libyakos. Last but not least, thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies you may have from Greece. They also can assist in exporting whatever you have, whether it's a box or a full household of items that can be sent over as well. Check them out at www dot piraeusintl.com that is piraeus like the port in greece and give them a call at 410-675-4696 now we've got some news for you lambda what have you got adi do i have news things have been going on around the league podcast favorite warda scored an insane game winner for volos at the end of the game to send them on to three points I don't know if you guys saw this, but he had this terrible interview where he didn't have a translator and they were asking him a bunch of questions in Greek and he was just saying random things. But at the end, he declared that they're going to Europa League, which I don't even think is possible. Anyway, great stuff from fan favorite, our own favorite, Warda. And just this evening wrapped up in the past hour, Pauk and Nike finished a really dreadful match of football. I have to say I struggled to watch through it all. It was just pretty boring. Ike scored the first goal, and then Pauk there at the end uh, got the equalizer to make it 1-1. Perfect for us, both of them splitting the points. It's going to be a long season, but that's good to see for us. Uh, just a reminder to everyone, we won't be playing a league match this coming week. Ipo actually decided to delay the match with Pauk 
to give us more time to prepare for Porto, give the players a rest. The first time I think they've done that, it makes sense with the Champions League, the schedule this year. It's not exactly every other week. It's every back-to-back week, I would say. So they're giving us more time to prepare. Finally, Panathinaikos, our rival club, is in calamity. It's a disaster. Uh, Javi Roca, I think his name is the technical director, was fired. Danny Poyatos, who we've mentioned, fired. A lot of people are joking that uh, <laughs> Poyatos is the Spanish John Van Ship. I may be the one saying that. Anyway, moving on. They have reportedly signed new Romanian coach Laszlo Boldoni, who actually has been around in Greece before. Not the most exciting hire. Today, they did play with Ofi, and they drew 2-2. They were down to start. They equalized. Ofi scored again. Makeda scored his first goal of the season and in the 94th minute, and he celebrated like they won the league. It was kind of a joke. He ripped his shirt off. He was running around all around the pitch. It, it, it was quite hilarious, and the fans of Panathinaikos Gate 13 have answered. Their fans were waiting for the players at the airport this evening. And they laid into the players. It, it was pretty bad. Supposedly there was about 100 Panathinaikos fans waiting at the airport after the team arrived from Crete and just laid into them for a good 30 minutes to an hour before they could go home. We're going to hear more about Panathinaikos coming up with the correspondent from Hellas Football, but it's, it's in shambles right now. It's not looking good. And that's about what we have for the news. Shall we talk about Olympiacos Adromitos for a few minutes? Absolutely. As many of you know, we did win against Atromeros 4 nothing. All of those goals came, of course, after we went man up. Um, so we're not going to get too much into the data. You know, we're, we are expected to win man up. So it's kind of hard to gauge a performance if you're not 11 on 11. But there were some good signs that came as a result of the 11 on 11 performance for 30 minutes. A good sign to see prior to the red card. Fortunis was our most productive person in the final third. Going forward, he did finish the game with two shot assists, one key pass, and he was pretty dynamic going forward. Now, the question for me is, now that he started for Libyakos, does this mean he will start for the national team? As you guys know, this apparently was the prerequisite that uh, John Van Schip said uh, was required for Fortunis to start. So will he start for the national team now? Costa, what do you think? Uh. I really do you want to get into the national team? <laughs> I mean, uh, it's I really don't know what to say. This whole issue with the national team and you know Bacasetas playing in that number ten row. I know you guys talked about it in the last podcast. For me, Fortunis is the most talented Greek player of his generation. He should be. He should be an important part of that Greek squad. And I think I'll, I'll stop there. And we definitely agree with you. But it was exciting for us to see that he did well, especially in 11-on-11 action. I know in the past we've kind of been disappointed with some of his starts. We've thought that he could do better and that he's, you know, we began to question whether or not he was more than an impact sub. I think he proved that in the last game. Uh, now, some concern for us in the 30 minutes where we're 11 on 11, we still seem to be a little slow to get started, kind of difficult to get stuff going in the final third, some difficulty with finishing. But, you know, we'll, you know, we'll see how that goes going forward. At, at the very least, Martins continued his trend of 
very good substitutions and solid game management. So we're we're happy to see that. Congrats to El Arabi. Regardless whether you're up a man or not, getting a hat trick is important. Getting a hat trick is really good news. Congratulations. Um, and I think somebody else had a goal. Uh, yeah, I don't remember who. Don't don't really care. Uh, I know. And yes, I'm going to remember every single person that added us when he scored. Don't worry. Next game, when he doesn't do so well, I'm adding all of you back, and it'll be payback time. But uh, again, good win. Uh, Lambro, did you have any uh, thoughts about the game? Yeah, I just want to say I, the aggressive tweets at John Van Schip about Fortunis, that's all me. That is all me. I, I love Fortunis. I'm a big Fortunis fan, so I was happy to see him going. And we we had a back and forth. <laughs> we had a back and forth. Costa's showing me his Costa's Fortuny jersey on currently. Uh, we had a back and forth with, um, I don't remember who it was, but he was telling us that Fortunis is lazy. He's out of shape. He can't stay on the pitch for 90 minutes. That is not true. And that's just, not, I'm, I'm not going to get into that, but for, just because Fortunis isn't running like a track horse all across the field, he doesn't mean he can't play 90 minutes. He plays 90 minutes. He looks fine. And when he does come off, it's because the coach is changing systems. It's it's craziness. I, I, I can't deal with that. Um, but yeah, just my overall thoughts on the game. Strange. Strange, I would say. The the fullbacks were strange, especially Jolebas was like on an island by himself. I know you, you mentioned that, Adi, uh, when we were texting about it. It was strange. And then Masuras came off. And yeah, strange game for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, this this issue of Fortunis' work rate isn't something new. Um, let's play devil's advocate for a little bit here. I think if you recall before the incident against Bauk last season, he was uh, he was coming back from his big injury and he played a couple of games, scored a goal against Banyunos, and then we went to Bauk. Um, in the one-nil game with the own goal, and um, Coach Martins, he I think he he didn't use him at all, and there was this incident after the game where he uh, you know he had a tiff with the with the manager, and then the manager kind of you know put him back in his place. He didn't he didn't play him. He left him out of the squad for three or four games. Um, I think that's over now. Uh, and I think uh, I think Fortunis is his heart's in the right place, and he he's learned his lesson. What I saw yesterday was Costas was he was mobile. He wasn't just coming to look for the ball and and create the openings, but he was also making runs into the box, diagonal runs supporting the striker. I mean, the first goal it was from a, a nice three ball from Camera into a into Fortunis who was making the run into the box, and then the square for the for the tap in. So, you know, he's doing some different things and you can see, I, I see his work rate has improved somewhat. Um, whether or not he's going to get a starting place on, on Wednesday, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but you definitely saw a desire to show the manager that he should be picking him on Wednesday. Manager's got a lot of options. I guess he might go for the, for the more safe 4-3-3. Uh, but but yeah, before we get into the Marseille game, you know the Atromitos game, it was convincing win 4-0. I think we came out with intensity much more than last games. And if I could pick on anything that I 
didn't like so much was that we were we were leaning a lot on the right hand side. Uh, a lot of the play in the first half was coming down the right, with uh, Rafinha trying to make as many overlaps as he could uh, to create the extra man. Uh, Valbuena uh, coming out on the right, giving options to for the interplay, and you know I think Holebas. Perhaps it's a, an instruction from the coach not to attack too, too, too much. Safe strength for Wednesday, but but yeah, definitely we were a bit one-sided. I agree with you a hundred percent. And I mean, it was it was kind of weird for me, only because I kept noticing how stranded, as Lambro brought up before, how stranded Holebas was. Our wings were kind of just drifting. Uh, and staying to the right side. Now, Masura started off in that right wing position, but he was staying very central. And so was, and so was Valbuena. As we kept seeing Valbuena make his way over there. And what then the result was, the result then was that you had Holebas pushing all the way forward and getting stranded on that left side. Now, the problem with that is that Holebas isn't the young gun he used to be. We're not going to get 90 minutes of him taking people on, going to the byline. Unfortunately, I don't think he has that endurance. I don't think he has that capability anymore. So we kept seeing him get closed down and then nobody moving into those spaces to give him the support for him to get the ball out. Now, a lot of people complain that he should have just stopped and dropped the ball. Some of them, I'm a little bit more forgiving because I don't see how he could have. He was getting closed down by four people. You would have Fortunis or somebody drop in with a player on them and he was still getting closed down by two people. So it was a little bit difficult, and that kind of concerned me a little bit how central our wings were playing. Masuras on the player mapping literally sat right under El Arabi, and Valbuena, actually, his positioning, especially in the first 30 minutes, registered more on the right than it did on the left, and that's where he initially started. So our wing play isn't exactly spreading out. The only winger that really did spread things out was, of course, Lazar Radelovic. And then even Fortunis, after the 30-minute marker, before he got subbed off, was also playing sort of on the right side uh, after the red card. So some things that were a little bit concerning. Uh, let's hope that they get worked out prior to our game against Marseille. Now, speaking of Marseille, you know, we do have a special guest here. Mo, thank you so much for joining us. And before we really get into the meat of this podcast, the pre-match with Marseille, we wanted to get a little bit of background for our listeners for how you got started. You know, you've got a huge following on social media. Tell us about how you became a Marseille fan and how you got to be where you are. Yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's quite a long story. It's been 13, 14 years now. I've been probably uh, supporting OM uh for for more than half my life um it started i mean it started uh, probably just an interest in you know continental football and the crazy football i mean as you, you probably know in you know being olympiacos fans you know there's a lot of fervor in the stadiums there's a lot of passionate organized sort of groups and i think it's that sort of continental football that really is I don't know, some people see it as a pure form of, of supporting your club, of actually standing behind your club. And that's something that really piqued my interest. It's not something you get a lot in England, um, you know, even though uh, whether the product might be good, but the actually supporting your club, it feels a bit sanitised more and more, um, you know, for, for a myriad of reasons, whether it's TV money, whether it's, um, you, you know, a more globalised form of support and et cetera. And, you know, I woke up, 
in the mornings when you know highlights of European games were on um, as mm. as a kid, and um, the first thing that obviously piqued my interest is is you know these groups of supporters with very colourful tifos and and, and showing of support, and whether it's you know rain or sunshine, out there supporting their club very very passionately, very fervently. Um, and it just sort of solidified from there, to be honest. Um, I had the opportunity to do a year abroad in France um, during my education days. And yeah, the sort of love affair with Marseille really grew strong. Um, so that's what, where it began. Um, and since, it's, it's really solidified in that um, I, uh, I'm a, I've got, you know, a freelance football writer and was, uh, was a long-term football writer for, for many media outlets such as Goal, um, freelance pieces in the Evening Standard, The Guardian, etc. You know, many people, many of your listeners may know me from, from Liga, uh, writing on Liga and um, have been a sort of commentator analyst for that for several years, obviously includes Marseille as well. Um, and very, over the last couple of years, I've actually been even more fortunate to actually work with uh, Marseille, the club itself, as they sort of moved into a more internationalised phase. Um, as clubs are these days, um, with, you know, more English content, social content and, and that sort of stuff. So very sort of very fortunate to be sort of in that period of the last three, four years. So it's, it's one of those things that really sort of grows from from your bedroom or your home TV into uh, something more tangible over the course of 10 decades. You never know where it can take you. Of course. And guys, I mean, if you if you check out his social media, it's at Muhammad Ali underscore 93 he's got 15,000 followers so that is very tangible very tangible proof of your success um I, again thank you so much for joining us and we also saw that you did a huge event with them was it last year in uh, yeah in, tell in, us about in shanghai yeah in, in shanghai china i was living there at the time um and they were in in shanghai to to launch uh, what is now called the OM Nation program. So it's, uh, you know, again, like I said, it's a real focus on internationalization, shifting to connect fans um, from all around the world. Because, you know, when you're, when you're a, a fan of clubs like Marseille, clubs like Olympiacos, Napoli, et cetera, you, you share the same passion, probably more so than other, other clubs, um, wherever you are, um, wherever time zone you may be. So the idea was to really launch sort of globalized fan clubs where they meet in one location and really sort of live matches together and moments together um and so the period of that was just after uh, the europa league uh, marseille reached the europa league final in 2018 mm -hmm. so they were like we're really gonna push this out and you know, they started in shanghai which i think they were there also for you know opening up to the chinese market and that sort of stuff and and we were like yeah i mean why not why not start here why not go absolutely crazy um and you know really launch a, a fan club in shanghai to show how serious we are in this project so the club's president was there um it was just after the week after france won, won the world cup so you can imagine he did come straight from moscow where he was um watching three of our players in the world cup final and i i, I had the honor of hosting that i think it was like 300 400 people chinese media french expats etc uh, very, 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 very fun. Very fun night. But actually, the first time in my life, and the only time in my life, someone asked my autograph. Uh, <laughs> which That's awesome. I had to warn them. Had to warn them with cheap and whatever thing they wanted me to sign. But um, <laughs> no, they was it was a fantastic night. Yeah. And I guess I the internationalization you brought up, living here in Geneva, 
I see Marseille tracksuit, Marseille kits uh, everywhere. And I know Paris Saint-Germain with Jordan are working on this project of kind of making almost their attire fashionable. It seems like Marseille is almost doing the same thing. Like it's becoming a very trendy club and it's really cool to see. It's I, I know it's happening here in Switzerland and um, in America even you see people wearing Paris Saint-Germain kits and Marseille kits. They're becoming quite famous, I guess, for that that side of the team as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, PSG are going to obviously be, you know, head and shoulders above any sort of ad exposure that Marseille will get for very obvious reasons. But um, a lot of the old school sort of guys will know Marseille. You know, 10 years ago, Marseille were champions. They're regular in the Champions League and are, you know, those clubs that you sort of don't want to face in Europe. Um, very historic uh, club. Um, and so it's, it's, I think it's high time for them to sort of translate that to sort of global exposure. The last couple of years, um, probably between 2014 to 2018, uh, were very difficult. Um, you know, not being in the Champions League for, for seven years, um, that's also lost a lot of ground where Lyon have now sort of usurped them in being everyone sort of recognised second team in France. But, you know, a lot of a lot of activity can go into you know tapping into sort of certain markets certain demographics you know you've you've actually had a, a sort of really bizarre situation last month where om had opened up a a new rap label working with sony sony bmg to showcase sort of local artists you know those sort of things really gets the intention and engagement i think you know it is a very digitalized world you know it's, engagement is key and these sort of things will hopefully translate into further support and um, more eyeballs um, over the coming years. But, you know, as we can only do so much in that field. Obviously, the, the best metric is to succeed on the pitch um, and qualifying for the Champions League for the first time in seven years is the, it's the, it's, it's definitely the first step. Do you find that when players come to Marseille that they kind of fall in love with the city and the fans? Yeah, absolutely. I've, a lot of players, when they leave Marseille, they leave sort of, i.e. with regret. Um, you know, it's, I think what Marseille can do is that, you know, a lot of players have then gone on to, to other clubs. They, they keep Marseille in their hearts. You know, when Marseille has a famous victory, they sort of all jump on social media and, you know, congratulate the club, say, you know, I've missed it, you know, I've missed my player, you know, I've missed the club, I've missed my teammates and, and whatnot. Um, especially when you go on to teams that they don't have sort of the atmosphere that the Stade Velodrome has, um, etc. I mean, a good example was, you know, the win against Paris Saint-Germain last month, which was a very, very much a surprise victory. You have players like Benjamin Mendy, Frank Ribéry, etc. Um, even Mathieu Valbuena, um, obviously I think your listeners might know one or two things about him. Um, you know, all, all jumping on and being very, very vocal um, about OM and also supporting OM from afar and also you know, historic legends such as Chris Waddle as well um, talking very regularly about OM and I think you can also see that we've got in our team three players, three very key first team players who all moved uh, to the Premier League um, once upon a time over the last five years and then all came back the first opportunity they could obviously for varying reasons but there's been a you know, there were like, a, like I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, there was a very difficult period five years ago with finances and selling players, obviously not being in Europe and ownership issues as well. And so there was a big fire sale of very, very good players. 
And then the first opportunity that, you know, OM did return to some sort of stability, the likes of Stevman Donda, Florian Tolvan, and Dimitri Payet, who you, you know is doing really well in particular at West Ham, or jumping back to Marseille, they could have gone anywhere. It's been, you know, in particular with Payet, who was one of the best players of that year's Euro, um, being linked with all these players. The first opportunity you got, you came back to Marseille. Um, and so there's, a, there's definitely a familiar feeling. On the flip side, it really is a sink or swim location. You know, the fans are tough. They're loving, but they're very, very tough. It's a very difficult place. I've always found that if you can succeed in Marseille, you can succeed anywhere, more or less. Um, you know, you've got young players who leave Marseille, go to bigger clubs and do relatively well. Uh, you know, Aspilicueta being one of them who's, who's now enjoyed the best part of a decade at, at Chelsea. Um, he's just one example. Um but um, you've got, you know, a lot of team players that come there. They don't really understand. They, they don't really, ha- you know, make an effort. And unfortunately, they do fall on the wrong side of the fans and they end up sort of really being very far away the first team. Um, because I'm on an Olympiacos podcast, I'll, I'll mention another name that might be familiar to you, Kostas Mitroglu, yeah. is um, uh, one that's unfortunately, personally, I think it's a very unfortunate situation that, He's 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 a Marseille player in all but name. He's not, you know, he's at the club, but he won't be featuring probably at all until January when he can maybe move on. Um, you know, so yeah, it's a very much a difficult situation if you aren't really up to speed and ready to go from day one. Everything that you just described the last few minutes, anyone tuning in, you might think you're talking about Olympiacos when you yeah. talk about the Mediterranean temperament, the fans, the enthusiasm, that the fans go way over the line in, in some circumstances in their approach or, you know, we, we've seen some crazy things happen in, in, in Greek football inside and outside the stadium. You talked about the pressure that the fans put on the on the players, you know, Marseille, Olympiacos being clubs that, clubs that if you can succeed there, you can play anywhere. Really, and, and you know, people... People think, yeah, the Greek league isn't isn't a top ten league in Europe by any means, but people really don't understand the pressure that there is at, at this club. So if you can play for Olympiacos, you really can play anywhere. If you can succeed there, you have that mentality that I have to go out every game and I have to win. Whether I'm playing in Greece, whether I'm playing in Europe, fans expect to win. Fans president, coach, everyone that's involved in the club expects you to win every game. If you lose a game, it's borderline revolution. It's, mm-hmm. it's a calamity. It's a catastrophe. And, uh, and there's not a lot of players that can, that can handle that. So, no, there's, there's a lot of similarities between the clubs, uh, the both port side clubs as well. I guess as well, Marseille is also identified with uh, with leftist movements as well from from its origins. You know, poor people from the port and all. So, yeah, no, it's it's super super interesting just hearing that that story you're you're telling us. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick up on the Mitroglou point. I I, I was dying I was dying to ask this question, and if if you don't mind. I look at Benedetto, like the um, Marseille's number one striker right now, and I looked mm. at his stats, however long he's been there, 
Mitroglou scored more goals. His his goal to game ratio is higher than Benedetto's, and Benedetto's played more games. I think. I really don't understand the whole situation with Mitroglou. I look, he for me, if he had work ethic, if he didn't, you know, if he was a bit more serious, he'd be a top ten striker in the world. I don't think Karim Benzema is uh, or Mitroglou has anything to be jealous of Benzema if he had the work rate. His finishing is unbelievable. If he has confidence, if he has a team around him, someone to feed him, he's an unbelievable <laughs> striker. I really do not know what the hell happened uh, since he moved to Marseille. I listened to these critics like Christophe Dugarry coming out on the French television and talking about Mitroglou and they don't know, they don't know squat. Mm -hmm. um, it's a really unfortunate situation for him. You know, you might say, oh, if he's that good, then why don't you take him? We've got Youssef El Arabi now. So, you know, he's, yeah. his career's on, on the decline, unfortunately. We will take him. I'm just going to jump in. We will take him. I will no. take him. <laughs> just release him on a free. We'll, we'll we take can give, him. We can exchange for Hassan. We give them Hassan, they give us Mitrogu. Well, I'll drive Hassan to France for you. Um, just to elaborate on that point, I mean, again, this is my own very much personal opinion, but um, I, I personally don't know anything of why... Costas Petroglou is in the situation that he is. I just think it's been horribly mismanaged. Really, I mean, it all comes down to this um, idea where Marseille had to have a proper number nine. So the backstory going back four years is that the start of Marseille's renaissance was that they were bought by uh, Frank McCourt, a billionaire who, you know, put, put money into the club, essentially. And, you know, he had... Dimitri Payet signed for 25 million, so a very big landmark move. And that summer, his first summer, um, was that Marseille were going to sign a striker, like a, a number nine. You know, when you when you buy a club and you want to make a centerpiece signing, it's a number nine, a guy that's going to score 20, 25 goals a season. And Olivier Giroud was a long-time target. You know, I know a lot of people had very wild ideas about Gonzalo Higuain and all these other players, but as the months wore on, nobody, like nobody came, um, except Valé Germain, who's currently in the team, who came from 8 million from Monaco, who had won the title in Ligue 1 then. Uh, but he's very much a very diminutive, like small striker who's, you know, likes to play off the main attacker, you know, essentially, he wasn't, wasn't a guy to lead the line. And on deadline day, very, very late on, the Costa Petrogli was signed in very much a panic panic by because I don't think he had a particularly uh, good end, end of the campaign with Benfica and that they thought at the time, you know, we're, we're, we're okay with Harris Averovic, we don't need Matroglu. Uh, but if you look at the stats for what he had in his final year at Olympiacos and, 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 and Benfica, I mean, he was regularly getting 20 goals a season. Um, you know, he, he scored a lot in Europe as well. So, I, in, personally, on paper, I thought he, he's, not, he's not a sexy signing. By any means, um, but he'll he'll do the job. Um, and the annoying thing is, is that Marseille let go a very decent uh, striker to 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 get this big name, um, which was Bafetimbi Gomez, who ended up in his one loan year from Swansea, um, ended up being Marseille captain, scoring twenty goals in Ligue 1. and they just left him, let him go, and you know, like we're going to buy a, a big striker but anyway. Rudy Garcia, the coach at the time, didn't trust Mitroglou whatsoever. And Mitroglou, you know, like you mentioned very much, 
uh, it's a striker that needs a lot of confidence. Um, and if, if confidence in short supply is not really going to play well. And for everybody saw at that point, Marseille should play 4-4-2, get Germain to do the dirty work behind Mitroglou and get Payet and Torven on both wings to really launch the ball to him, let him use his aerial presence. Nothing. He'd just come off the bench. He would start in meaningless games, etc. And yeah, he, he had a goal average of one every 120 minutes, which isn't bad at all. Really isn't shabby. And for what I thought, and you think, I'm not sure even you played more than perhaps 1,200 minutes over the course of that 17-18 season, which Marseille ended up playing the most games in Europe because they went from the third qualifying round all the way to the Europa League final, went far in the Cups, and obviously the 38-game league and season. So for me, it's just it just didn't seem, you know... And at the time, the players loved him. Like, you know, I think Payet gave him a penalty to take... Um, Pyatt even sort of did all the hard work and rounding the goalkeeper and squaring to Mitroglou just so he could get uh, goals on the board and the whole team would rally around him. So he was a, he was a popular guy and he just didn't get used. And that, you know, that year we went to the Ripley final, was a substitute in the final. He did more than all of our attackers in like in 10 minute cameo. He hit the post yeah, against the bar, for Madrid. Yeah. yeah, the bar, I think, yeah. Um, and then um, and then he was shunted off to Galatasaray and and PSV, and now he's back. You know, yeah. Benedetto, he, he's suffering perhaps the same things as um, Mitroglou, a very slow sort of start to the season. He looked absolutely horrible in last night's victory. Yeah. Um, and you think, you know, we don't need to sign anybody else. We've got Mitroglou, a Champions League proven striker. If he's not going anywhere, let's integrate him. Of course, he might not start, but let's integrate him. But Andre villas Boas, now the current coach, has just uh, openly said, He's not in my plans, you know. He had he had the chance to leave. Nobody wanted him, you know. Tough luck, um, but yeah, essentially. Yeah, uh, definitely a very interesting case with Mitroglou. That's for sure. Now you brought up Vias Boas, and we kind of yeah. wanted to touch on that. So, getting into the meat now, getting into some tactics. Uh, we've seen in the last few games a few different formations get used mm -hmm. by Marseille. 4-1-4-1, 4-2-3-1. I believe there was even a 4-4-2 or might have been a 4-3-3. I can't remember. We discussed it last podcast. A couple different formation changes. And one of our last guests, Martial from Olympiacos, France, for those of you that listened to that episode, he brought up that we still don't really know what Marseille can play, what a lot of players can do. So I wanted to ask you first, what are your thoughts on Villas-Boas as a coach? Uh, one, you know, Martial had told us that Villas-Boas had Marseille playing an ugly brand of football. When they don't have to command the game, they can play defensive play on the counter. They're they're good. But when they're the ones commanding possession, it can get pretty ugly. And also, not just what you thought about Villas-Boas, but what do you think he's going to use against Olympiacos? What formation is he going to run? What system will he implement against us? All right. So the first, the first part of the question um, – yeah, I, I get the feeling over the last month or so, he's been tinkering a little bit. The The essential base of the formation, the crux is a 4-3-3, but it can really change dynamic mid-game because we don't really have the sort of players um, that are key to those positions. Um, so the defence sort of speaks for itself. And in, in midfield, it's Valentin Rongier, um, a very plucky, tenacious midfielder um, who... You know, I think in his last club was actually quite offensive, but right now he's very rigid, sort of you know, sticking into midfield. Um, um, it's sort of a midfield enforcer, if you like. You've got Morgan Sanson, yep. who's who's the more offensive of the trio, and Bubakar Kamara, a very uh, very popular, um, highly talented 20 year old. 
um, who's made the move from centre-back to midfield and up front. Dario Benedetto is the, the focal point of the attack. Dorian Tolvan um, on one wing and then Dimitri Payet on the other. Uh, but because, you know, Payet has been suspended or um, you, you have mixed matches across sort of that area and, you know, you, the, the players who come in replace them, it's not really their typical formation. So you might get a, a mix and match in terms of how the team shape actually looks. For example, you had the bizarre um, scenario yesterday where it's a typical 4-3-3 with all the starters, but you have Michael Cuisance, who joined, a midfielder who joined on loan from Bayern Munich over the summer, playing in left wing, um, which is what was originally imagined. But then he played in sort of the tip of a 4-4-2 diamond. Mm. Um, you know, and with Tolvan joining Benedetto up front. Yet, Canal Plus, the, the broadcaster of yesterday's match at halftime, they showed the average formations. You had Benedetto really, really deep at the halfway line as if he was playing yep. um, in a six role. And you're thinking, what you know, what, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Um, maybe that just sort of underlined how bad he was yesterday. But yeah, it's, <laughs> there's definitely something cooking. With Villas Boas himself, um, fantastic manager, I personally believe. I mean, Marseille is a very rocky club. Um, so you need sort of a stable hand. Um, and he's made a lot of tough calls and he's got nearly all of them right. Some people might not like them, but um, I'll give you an example. A big, big factor at Marseille is that they're very much sort of like Arsenal um, in that they suffer very much against the big teams, uh, the similar big teams. So you've got how, you know, Arsenal haven't won in, in the Premier League away to City, United, etc., and so on. Um, and Marseille haven't won before Villas-Boas against Paris Saint-Germain since 2011. Against Lyon, only one win in eight years. Uh, against Monaco, one win away from home for six, seven years. And then so on, you know, against the big teams, you know, especially against Paris, Lille, Monaco, Lyon, Marseille have struggled to get, to get results. Like against the top three or whatever day it might be, if you're playing a team in the top three, no result. And yet Villas-Boas has won all but one game against Paris, Lyon, Lille, Monaco. And that was last year against PSG in his first game, or one of his first games. Um, and he just said, look, I don't have the team to play PSG. We're playing Lille and Lyon in literally two games over the next six days after this game. That's going to be my focus because we'll be playing at home in those games. Mm -hmm. So I don't care what happens in this game. And Bappe can do whatever he wants. Don't care. And Marseille predictably lost 4-0 all four goals coming in the first half. So you're thinking, what the hell's going on? Some people didn't like the way that he was so blasé about that and that right. he sort of cheapened the big fixture PSG Marseille. But he said, look, I've got the resources. I'd like to. But really, this league is 19 teams and my aim is to be the champion after PSG, so, uh, you know, so to speak. And lo and behold, the next game, Marseille ground out two fantastic victories against Lille and Lyon. Um, against Lyon in particular, where they had 10 men for, for about 35 minutes. And it was Dimitri Payet who was man of the match in that game with two fantastic goals. You know, they won against um, Rennes, who were fantastic last year, who finished third in Liga, uh, away from home. And when they were expected to lose, they've come from behind. They were losing at Monaco. They came from behind on one. And he's done the game, he's done the same this season. It's continued where they lost a, a friendly to Bayern Munich only just 1-0. A very good showing. This was just before Bayern won the Champions League. Uh, and then the win in Paris last year, uh, sorry, last month. And then just two weeks ago, in the last game before the international break, a, a draw away to Lyon, which Marseille were had about 22% possession, only three shots compared to Lyon's 22. Yeah. 
and 10 men. Dimitri Payet was sent off in the 18th minute. So you're playing 72 minutes, north of 72 minutes with 10 men. And they did not look like they were going to suffer defeat in that game. They have looked very resolute, very tough defensively, very difficult to break down, which is great because the criticism of the last coach was that they were so sort of open um, and teams would come to the Velodrome and would just hit Marseille on the counter very regularly. They've become very compact with a defensive low block. It's frustrated very creative teams. It's great when, like you've just mentioned in your, in your question, that you know when you're not expected to win, fantastic. But this season, we've also seen where Marseille at home playing very weak teams in the likes of Mets, um, Saint Etienne, and it's just it's just been appalling. It's been dirty football, very turgid. Uh, Benedetto's having a uh, shocking season. Without Tolvan's creativity, it can be very dire. And they've come out of the game with a very lucky point, mostly coming in you know, sort of last-minute equalisers. So, you know, it's, it's still a work in progress. I think Villas-Boas knows, but I don't think he's under any, you know, he's not under any qualms knowing that, look, my idea is not sort of to play fantastic football. My idea is to win. You guys obviously want to reach your objectives. How I get there, that's, I'm just using what's at my disposal. And that's actually a criticism that he got at Zenit, where they ended up winning the Russian Premier League. But sort of the Zenit um, faithful and also the club legends at the time were criticised. They were like, this is not how Zenit wins. We won, but if we're not routinely demolishing these guys at home, what's the point? And because Marseille has a very sort of small budget and financial sort of, implications which are obviously made worse by coronavirus. I don't blame him. He's, he's got a job to do. And at the end of the day, it's results that count. It sounds like you were talking about Leonardo Jardim at Olympiacos a couple of years ago. Yep. Another, yeah. Portuguese, another Portuguese manager that was getting... But he know, turned out good, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he, uh, he, he... I think he's probably the only manager in Europe that was topping his league undefeated and got sacked after, I don't know, a quarter yeah. of the season because... Because the Olympiagos fans want to see the attacking flair and you know mm-hmm. the sexy football going down the wings, and you know he was just a you know solid defense like all Portuguese coaches, and the football wasn't overly attractive. And yeah. I mean, it was a, for me it was a shocking decision to get rid of him. But but anyway, no, that's interesting. I I, I had a question for you. What's the what's the feeling like in the in the Marseille ecosystem going into this game on Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the team itself, the fans, the media, the French press. Uh, I, I've worked with French people in my life, in, in, in my career, and actually, two former colleagues of mine are, are Marseille fans. The French, they have this. Um, perception of being a little bit arrogant and you know we're going to go and play this Greek team Olympiacos and yeah they're good at home but now they don't have their fans so we're going to go over there and we're going to beat them easy what's your take and you know do they have actually any knowledge of how good we were last season I assume you saw our games against English clubs last year Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be keen to to hear what the what the mood's like right well um, first of all I think it's a, a very nice sort of moment to play Olympiacos again um, because, you know, against Olympiacos, we reached, we qualified um, in a group containing Olympiacos with Arsenal and Dortmund in, in 2011. And they were a very tough opposition and I think you can appreciate maybe that that was a really strong period in Olympiacos' history where they would be 
you know, if, if not qualifying, they would, you know, very much get the third place regularly in the Champions League. A very strong European outfit at the time. No one really wanted them out of the pots that they were in. And this time, there could have been easier draws in pot three. Marseille were for some reason a pot fourteen, although I can understand because there was no European football over the last couple of years. It's it could have been worse in pot three, but it also could have been better. And I think, as you saw, Olympiacos are no pushovers because of their you know fantastic result the Emirates um, earlier this year against Arsenal, and I thought they did pretty well against Wolves. I saw that game in Europa League as well. So they I, they I don't think in the Champions League in particular they've had two very good campaigns. I think, you, you know, you guys probably have better knowledge on this uh, than me. Um, but they are they are a difficult outfit and they are something that Marseille isn't in that they are European mainstays. A lot of Marseille players currently do not have that sort of collective, comprehensive and also consistent European experience. And that's, that is a big step in what Marseille needs to achieve over the coming months. You know, there's there's no there's no sort of idea that Marseille is going to get second. They have to aim for second, and it's we're going to go to the last sixteen, whatever. Everyone recognizes that this is the first campaign in seven years, and it's took us a long time to qualify for the Champions League. A lot of heartbreak, a lot of near misses, and so it's very important to just really utilize this moment and qualify again and build your team for next year's campaign, and so on. That being said, it looks to be a very interesting group, not so much an easy group, but a group where if you work hard and you are resourceful, you never know what can happen. There's about, I think personally, Marseille's you, a 33% chance you can finish fourth and 33% chance you can finish in second or third. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually something we've discussed uh, for a couple of podcasts now. Uh, you know, last year our group was Tottenham and Bayern Munich. I don't think many Greek fans actually expected we would finish first or second. Now, this campaign, even though we see that there is a larger potential for second, there's definitely very much a larger potential for fourth as well. There's no red star, even though that wasn't easy for us as well. There's no red star in this in this group. There's a bunch of challenging teams. It's going to be very competitive. Now, I wanted to touch on some of the key players for Marseille. You kind of touched on them already. You talked about uh, Payet, uh, Bubakar Kamara, who's been very interesting for me. I've been watching a lot of tape on him just because he's a fun player for me to watch. But there was a player that I didn't hear you mention that I really want to get some of your insights on, especially with the effect of him not being in the team. Kaleta Carr, your center back. I watched mm. him. I've been watching a lot of film on him because I was very concerned. He is... Uh, you know, as, as an Olympiacos fan, because he very much kind of resembles to me almost like a, a Ramos type. Almost 70% of Marseille's restarts in terms of getting the ball and restarting a possession forward or an attack go through him. He's one of the first guys to get on the ball, to receive the ball. He's pretty good defensively as well. And he definitely seems to be the ball playing center back that everyone's yeah. comfortable getting the ball to and can even make some downfield plays. So how important is he to the team and how much is this going to impact the game against Olympiacos? He's a man that's grown a lot. I mean, I mentioned earlier some, you know, key players, but he is very much essentially a, a key player. Um, he, you know, has has experience in the Europa League. Uh, I think it will be his first in the Champions League. He, he was signed from Salzburg's 20 million euros mm -hmm. uh, two seasons ago, was as a sub in the World Cup final. 
he's really come on leaps and bounds in the last 12 months. And we've unlocked his ability to be a sort of an offensive defender, even. Yep. Um, he's fantastic, like you mentioned there, in sort of lumping balls forward to the wings where Pyatt and Torvald or Benedetta can chase mm-hmm. and really restarting the attacks. Because, you know, without him, we do become very slow in the build-up, very mm-hmm. turgid. I don't think Alvaro, his defensive partner, is as confident in getting the balls. And, um, you know, there's a bit of a risk offensively if Jordan Amavi or Hiroki Sakai, the both fullbacks, do get uh, caught very high up the field. So he's used as sort of a mechanism to really restart balls and unlock space where possible. The, you know, nothing's been confirmed yet, but it does look like he'll be out this this week. Um, I think it's an ankle twist, so it could be a couple of weeks even. Right. Um, it'll be a big loss, and only because that his natural substitute, which would be uh, Bubakar Kamara, is suspended from a a yellow card in the oh, sorry, red card in Europa League two years ago, yeah. which has reared its head. So, in fact, Leonardo Balerdi, um, the Argentine centre-back on loan from Borussia Dortmund, should should get a start. And he's not looked as confident in his sort of minutes of play with OM so far. He's looked very ramshackle. He's, he's a very thin defender as well. So it looks like he can be very easily sort of put out by a physical team. Or if you've mm-hmm. got a striker with an aerial threat, he does, definitely does come second best. And not looking very confident in the balls. I think he had a, he played in he played his debut in our first league game of the season and looked absolutely horrible. They had to switch positions twice and then subbed. Oh. Um, and also at fault for one of the goals as well. So he, he played by, uh, sorry, Borussia Dortmund last year, but not in Europe and um, very few games. And then he was loaned off to us. There's there's definitely a player in there. So he's he's got a lot to prove. But um, And also maybe it's a benefit that this game is going to be behind closed doors because the atmosphere that can be generated in those sort of games can be... Very tough for a player that hasn't really played in those atmospheres before. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, Schlettersar is going to be a, a big miss. So we'll see how Belerdi slots in because I don't think he has that sort of experience in the low defensive block that Marseille liked to operate, which obviously Schlettersar is a big component of. Now, Bubakar Kamara, I know he's not going to be available for that game, but let's say he was available. I mean, he's, yeah. he's in terms of the players that you have, I know, I mean, Payet is Payet, Talvin is Talvin as well, but... Uh, Bubakar Kamara was really fun for me to watch. And I felt, let's uh, even if he did play, you, having to use him in that center back role, I mean, I feel, I still feel as if that would have negatively impacted the team, especially, you know, he, as a midfielder, he offers so much. And he's only 20 years old. Just going through the metrics, I watched almost 600 touches of his on the ball. I was very happy to watch the tape of him. It was very enjoyable. He has incredible ball skill. He's also a pretty accurate passer. It's not like he loses cheaply in possession. And it was really funny because before I really watched the film, I, I kept seeing him as a midfielder, but I saw he was he's still registered as a defender with Marseille. Yeah. He's on the team sheet as a defender. So I, I saw that and I, I lost my mind. He has very nice defensive metrics as well. He can play almost as a six or an eight. It doesn't matter. He has the ball skill and vision to be an eight, but he also has the work rate and that bulldog capability to really to win the ball and, you know, and help stifle opposing teams possession. He averages five interceptions and 10 recoveries per game. For our Olympiacos listeners, this is very much like Guillerme. He has Guillerme-like numbers in terms of his 
uh, defensive capabilities in the midfield. Guillerme was a very important player for us because of this. So when I say that Bubakar Kamara has that upside, I'm not kidding. And his offensive duels, I watched 71 different offensive duels with him where he had the ball, he was getting challenged, and he had to do something with the ball. He only lost the ball when he got challenged by two people. He never lost the ball in any one of those duels that I saw where he was dribbling the ball and got pressured by one person. It always took two people to actually dispossess him of the ball. So if you can isolate him, that's really the only time you can dispossess him. And the curious thing for me were some of the Marseille fan complaints that they don't think he can play further forward. He's never really been given that opportunity, so I don't understand where that complaint comes from. But I wanted to ask if losing him from the midfield, even assuming if he was able to play center back, how big of a loss is that for your midfield without Kamara there? Um, Holly, in a little secret, it's that his favorite position is actually center back. And it's what the place where he feels most comfortable. Um, and it was only Andre Villas-Boas who, you know, because of the team's needs in that OM didn't have a relatively decent sort of defensive midfield. I mean, Kevin Struthman is is an option. You know, since they sold Zambo Anguissa, who was at um, Fulham uh, two seasons ago, Kamara has sort of had to be shunted a bit forward. And as, as well as he's good then, obviously very comprehensive statistics that you've outlined, he's made it very clear that, you know, I'm only there because the coach taught, you know, tells me to. Really? I don't want to be there. I, I trained as a centre-back. I love being a centre-back and that's where I feel like I'm comfortable. But, you know, I help the team, you know, whatever I can do. So um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, Marseille have signed a couple of midfielders this um, summer. Uh, Pap Gay, um, who signed from uh, Le Havre, who the transfer to Watford ultimately cancelled um, is a, a good sort of defensive midfielder um, and has looked good. He's got lots of raw potential, very highly regarded in France and clearly in England as well. So there, there are a lot more options this season than there are last season. That being said, you know, he reads the ball so well. He sits right in front of the defence, allowing Morgan Sanson and Valentin Roger to operate sort of vertically so I, I believe yeah because that they've been so ever present as a three you know the only fault perhaps you can give Villas Boas is that they've looked very turgid in midfield you know the attackers look poor the midfielders look a bit clunky in offensive phases um you should swap it up a little bit you know why yeah. stick with Vongier Sans on camera very you know almost religiously this could have been a great opportunity to do so had you know camera been available he's not going to be available so it's an opportunity to utilize a different midfield, you know, Marseille played a vast period yesterday in a 4-4-2 diamond, a very new formation uh, for the team because of the introduction of Cuisance. And that could be something that can be translated again on Wednesday because of the fact that there are a couple of exits. It, it might be that Cuisance falls back and replaces the, the suspended Camara with Rongier moving into the defensive midfield position. And then Payet, who everyone knows has been fantastic at number 10 role for several years now, mm -hmm. perhaps less efficient in the left wing, which he, is where he operates, could actually be a number 10 with Tolvan and uh, Benedetto or Valé Germain up front instead. So there's a lot of options. In fact, Dean, you mentioned, you asked me a couple of minutes ago, what team or what shape do you think Marseille is going to take? It really is a bit you know, up in the air at the moment because of the key jig pieces of the jigsaw that are currently missing. So it either could be the standard 4-3-3 with new elements in. So you're talking about Batpap Gay playing in his first European game. Luis Henrique is a 10 million euro, 18-year-old sign from Brazil, from Botafogo, 
um, in September, who people, no one's actually seen much of him. He only played a six-minute cameo yesterday and somehow chased five balls and recovered five balls, which was really good. But no one knows in what scenario he, he could feature. And then you've got, you know, Dimitri Payet, does he play in the left wing? Does he play in this 4-4-2 diamond that Marseille have tried out? And then, of course, you know, what happens with, you know, Marseille do only have one right back in the entire team because Bounassar, the second right back, has been sold to Bayern Munich and Hiroki Sekai has looked so-and-so. Um, and do you sort of save him because it's a really thick number of fixtures that are coming uh, soon with the Champions League being played every week now? So it really is up in the air and it's actually quite interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, we alluded to this discussion before we got started and um, listening to the attacking options and, and the way you, you might expect Marseille to play on Wednesday, I think a big question for us is going to be how do we line up in, in defence and particularly at left back? Uh, we've got Holibas back from Watford, 36, 37 years of age, I forget. I mean, the guy's bionic. He's, for a 36-year-old, his fitness levels are incredible. The man's a machine. But I think we're going to have serious problems. If, um, you know, Tovin, for me, is the, the key man on the, on the Marseille team. Big danger man, together with Dimitri Payet. I think Payet right, plays a role very similar to, to what Balbuena does for us. He starts out on the left, but you see him out on the right, in the middle, all over the park. But really, the um, the prospect of, of Tovin starting the attacks out on the right and cutting onto his left foot and scoring goals like he did the other day, uh, and having Holibas as his as his opponent, I'm a little bit worried. Um, I I really wonder if um, if Coach Martins is going to give Vinagre the the nod to get his first first appearance after after a midweek injury and international duty. The other option could be play Rafinha out on the left, knowing that Tovan likes to cut in. And so he would uh he would be able to stop him on the right foot and uh and then maybe go out with uh with Drager on the on the right hand side. But he he's also a, a last minute signing yep. uh at, at right back. Yeah, the the wing backs in 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 the Olympiacos team they're really a bit of a concern for me. For, yeah. for midfield, we can we can push up later. But what do you think, Labra? Yeah, I think this is a this is a part of the team that everyone is freaking out about. I think as Olympiacos fans, and we've been saying this all summer. Chimikas left in in early August, and Omar left in early August, and it's. We haven't really had fullbacks, and now here we are, the Champions League campaign. We're going to play Marseille. We're going to play Porto again in a week. And Vinagre, we got in at the deadline. Rafinha's been here, but we're thin at fullback, and I think everyone's freaking out, especially that first half with Adromitos. There was just no creativity by the fullbacks, and that has been a key in our team the past few years with Omar, Labdalawi, and Cosas Chimica. So... And, and I'm worried about this because I, I don't know if you throw 21-year-old Vinagre in against Dalvin. He's never played for Olympiacos. He doesn't... I don't know how well he knows. He went out on international duty. It's it's scary, I guess. He, you know, I don't want to watch Jose Holebas play against a world-class player like Dalvin. But, 
you're going to trust 21, 22-year-old Vinagre against Alvin. I, I, there's no good option for me. And I, I'm struggling to see what we're going to do uh, with this because I think this is where we're going to get burns. And one point I, I made earlier was essentially that we, we have five subs in this competition, just like we have in Greece. And I think maybe he begins with Holebas and goes for Vinagre as a sub if things get out of hand. It'll be interesting. I don't know. Um, I've got a quick question in that, um, you know, I think obviously given that you you um, obviously produce this podcast, I've, uh, you know, and obviously talk about recent matches for Olympiacos, I mean, in what shape are they entering in, in tomorrow's, uh, sorry, Wednesday's fixture in that they've looked to me, and I'm only going through just statistics, uh, sort of a second half team, you know, really getting the goals, really getting the moments in the second half. And aside from three really turgid games last month, Marseille have actually done really well in getting games sorted, you know, entering rhythm very early in the first half against Paris Saint-Germain, against Lyon scoring quick and early, you know, settling into a groove and staying there for the rest of the match against Brest. They scored two very quick goals uh, through Tolvan Tolvan again, an early double. And then again yesterday, I, you know, last night he... He scored a fantastic goal very early on, missed a penalty, which he probably should have scored, but didn't really care much about. Um, and they've you know, been very offensive in the first half. So you got, you've got sort of two contrasting styles where Marseille have sort of leathered off in the second half and have allowed teams to come at them uh, regularly. And this is where Olympiacos are proficient. So I just wanted to sort of get you on, get your idea on that. Uh, we are very much right now a second half team. This is something we've discussed in pretty much every post-game podcast episode for this season of Super League games. One thing that has been fortunate, though, is we've seen better game management from our manager because we have seen slower starts. We definitely started better building up. Actually, funny enough, last year, we used to start games off better and then kind of finish slower. You know, we the game against Tottenham comes to mind. You know, we could have taken points from Tottenham. We could have take, taken three points. We started off so well, and then it kind of came back. S same thing against Bayern Munich. Uh, you know, we start off very well against them, uh, especially in Germany. 0-0 zero, zero for 70 minutes. Then, of course, they, they pop a couple goals off on us. So it, we are very much right now appearing to be a second-half team. The caveat, though, is that Martins is managing the team better, more impactful subs, which you like to see. But the struggle, again, is going to be with these wingbacks, not just on the defensive end. We haven't really alluded to it yet, but... You know, in a previous in a previous episode, again when we spoke to Martial from Libiacos, France, we talked about again in the in the film that I watched the the defense of Marseille, as you already brought up, is pretty solid, and Marseille is really good about diffusing pressure. They diffuse pressure out wide, and uh, I mean it's very commendable for especially when they're not in possession. They do very well making sure that there's not a lot of easy chances on goal. However. The most vulnerable points I saw were when you go down the wings against some of those wingbacks. The wingbacks, from what it appeared, didn't be to be quite as talented defensively as your center backs or even as your midfielder, well, who is a center back, Kamara. So that was a weakness we identified as a point of attack for us. But the problem is we were successful on that with our overlapping wingbacks. We don't have that now. So the concern is... How are we going to take advantage of that when we're not able to reproduce that wing play? Unfortunately, we don't really have real wingers on this team. We've discussed this before. 
Radejevich is pretty inconsistent. We were hoping that we saw signs at the end of last season that we were going to get that consistent winger out of him. We're not. He started off much like he started off last year with some very inconsistent performances. Valbuena very much likes to go inside. He doesn't always cut outside and stretch the field. He likes to wander around. We use Fortunis in that role sometimes, kind of as that attacking mid that will go left and right. Masuras is not an offensive genius. As many people have heard us lament, he is not an offensive genius at all. He's very much more defensive, which is helpful in Europe against better teams. But in a game where we're going to need much more of that offensive creativity, we don't really have a winger that can do that. Hopefully, Bruma, uh, you know, deadline day signing for us, can do that for us. But, you know, the, the vulnerabilities that are there to take advantage of, we don't have the tools with which to do that. Yeah, and a question that, that Mo asked is what formation we're going to go with. Uh, this is another question that we got from Stephen, who's been on the podcast a few times, what we think the formation will be. So recently in Europe, we've been going with a 4-3-3 with three strong midfielders. Wuhala, um, Kiskierme, and Mari Kamara was last season, but now we're having some conflict with new signing Jan Mvia and Wuhala, they overlap a lot. And this weekend, we saw our our famous 4-2-3-1, the formation that we've played with for years. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that to the two Olympiacos guys. What do you guys think we're going to go with? I personally think it's 4-3-3. That's our European formation. And that's what I expect from Coach Martins. I, I think it's going to be 4-3-3. That's what we've gone with um, in, in European games under Martins more and more. Particularly last year, I don't think we... Against Tottenham in the opener, actually, we started with 4-2-3-1. I think Balbuena started at the 10 and Masuras was on one wing and Padense, Padense was on the other wing. So, yeah, there's there's a problem in midfield as well. Huh? We You already touched on it, Labro, MV and Bukhalakis, they they play in the same zones. They, they cancel each other out. You, you have... MV loves to kind of occupy that space in the left centre of midfield and he likes to spread the play. But, you know, you don't have what Guillerme bought last season. You know, he had that player that gave a bit of balance on the right-hand side that played as a six, but also as an eight as well. He'd make late runs into the box. He'd win headers, score headers from corners and set pieces, dominate in midfield and, you know, be that be that guy that comes back and plays the first ball out of defence. We don't have that this season. And, you know, Mvia to an extent, he does that, but then he just, he'll he'll crash into Bukhalakis. And and I worry that if we start Bukhalakis and Mvia and Kamara, that's probably what we'll start. Uh, and Bukhalakis started on the bench the other day, so I think he was resting him. I think he's definitely, uh, Bukhalakis is definitely going to start on Wednesday. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a 4-3-3. I think Masuras is going to play, uh, particularly if you look at the threat of, of Tovan on the right wing. We all know Masuras isn't the best in terms of his attacking prowess or, or running at defenders, but he's tactically astute. He'll hold his position and uh, he'll come back and, and help whoever's playing at left-back. Yeah, I, I expect I expect Balbuena will be the other player start as a winger in in the lineup at least. Youssef El Arabi up front and and uh, Ba and Semedo out the back. 
I wanted to address one thing that Mo said as well about our score lines and you know the fact that we're scoring in second halves. I don't think any of the games we've played so far are indicators for the game we're about to go into. We've been playing against teams in the Greek league that park the bus. Yep. It was the same in the Champions League qualifiers against Ammonia. It was practically like a Greek league game where we were just playing, uh, you know, wave after wave of attack against a team that was just parked outside the their penalty box. So. It could be a, it could be a very open game, and uh, Olympiacos is most dangerous when when there's space. When there's space, we have a team that that knows how to get forward and transition very well. So, so it could be a really exciting game in that respect with a, with a, quite a few goals and good goalkeepers on both sides. By the way, huh? Mandanda is a very 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 good goalkeeper, and and Josesar as well. He's he's turned out pretty good for us. Knock on wood. And I want to I want to bring something up because we have actually haven't brought this up even in the podcast yet. I know we've kind of joked about for playing four three three against Basianina. Mo, I know you don't know who Basianina is. They're just a you know they're a very small club in Greece. Definitely parked the bus against us. And the four three three probably wasn't the most offensive thing we could have done. However, that four three three with Yanin Vila and, and Bukalakis. Every game when we've played the 4-3-3, we have dominated the midfield. So there is something to be said for that. I think for sure they're going to start because this mid the midfield battle is going to be very important. We have two Portuguese managers going up against each other. There are going to be some tactical mind games played, 100%. Villas-Boas is very tactically astute. He does make a lot of adjustments. So does Martins. So I think I have a feeling we're going to come out looking to win that midfield battle because we want to make sure we can keep Payet and Talvin off the ball as much as we can. So that's what I think we're going to see. It's one of those things where you have to weigh the benefits, right? Do you go with a more attacking mindset and then kind of risk losing that midfield battle? Or do you go with a less creative unit in the offensive third, but then secure that midfield battle and then adjust down the line if things are still going your way? That's a, that would be a tough decision for me to make on a very big stage like that. Now, Martins, I think, is going to go with that 4-3-3 because we know he's not very risky. He's very risk-averse. So I think that's how we're going to start, and we're going to see how that midfield battle goes before we make any adjustments in the offensive third. Yeah, and I think this is super interesting, almost like going into the Wolves game. I, I really did not know who was going to take the initiative in this game, who was going to take possession and pass the ball around. You would assume Marseille is a huge club and they have some top-class players that they would take the ball, but it seems like, as as we've discussed, Andre Villaboa uh, is open to open to playing defensive, you know, and so it may be another game where Olympiacos is forced to almost take initiative and play possession football, maybe when Coach Martins doesn't even want to do that. So... It reminds me again of that first leg against Wolves before Ruben Semedo was taken off. We were dominating Wolves, and I was kind of kind of stunned, you know. As yep. I don't watch a lot of Wolves or that much, but I was thinking, okay, this this is an, uh, an English team which has a lot of money. It bought our, one of our star players in the winter. I would think that they would take the initiative, and this seems like another game where I could see us taking the initiative, even if that's not exactly what we want to do. Yeah, and even it's funny because even though the Wolves play super negative, you would expect a, a huge Premier League team like that to kind of take it to a, what most people would consider a smaller club. You know, not many people think of Olympiacos as this huge club, even even though we're the 
the best team in Greece, most consistent in terms of European appearances. But most, a lot of teams don't take us seriously, especially top-tier teams. So I think that that's going to be very interesting to see who ends up commanding that possession. I know we're going to definitely try. Now, I wanted to ask specifically about Payet, Mo, if, you'd, uh, if you don't mind answering. You know, Martial kind of uh, was a little bit down on Payet, I want to say, in the last episode. Uh, he kind of thought he was fat, uh, underperforming a little bit, fitness issues. Uh, we all know Payet's super creative. Him and Talvin, the, the class is there. But, you know, we're going to get that out of the way. But are there, are there going to be any concerns in terms of his fitness, especially since, you know, with the red card and not having played basically two games, we'll say, um, any concern with, with fitness or, you know, with the fact that he's been sitting out two games? Um, I think there's, first of all, concerns are probably a bit justified um, in that he has looked <laughs> a, a bit on the heavier side. Um, <laughs> but but for some reason, he, he somehow pulls it in. I mean, Marseille as a whole had a very sort of poor September following that PSG victory. Uh, with with three one one draws and, and like we said we've alluded that to the inability to sort of break away from that defensive mindset from that mold and really take games to opponents they're very comfortable uh, being in sort of the chasing pack rather than being the ones that set the pace and I think he's looked a bit out of sync from that because obviously you know as an offensive player as the very much the creative outlet of the team um, that sort of stunts him but. Um, he, he's, he he did really well in that 20 minutes or so he played against Leon before that red card. I mean, he did right. score the opener. And one thing I've always found with Pai is that, you know, write him off at your peril. Over the past year, you know, this these um, sort of the idea that he could be a bit heavy and in, disinterested, etc. He's, he's had that sort of swatted at him um, several times in the past 12 months and every single time he's moved it away and God forbid any Olympiacos players or Pedro Martins for example says anything about that in the press conference because every time that happens he ends up having the game of his life uh, so who you know this is the Champions League this is where he wants to be you know he's 30, mm -hmm. 33 I believe now he's not got a lot of time in his career uh, Marseille have not been there for seven years I think he he it was his first season at Marseille, the last time they qualified for the Champions League. And he will be up for it. I mean, it's these moments that you live for. And you know, he's he's sort of no longer in the France team for now. Obviously, he's, he's experienced the highs of proper top-tier European competition, both with France and, and in Marseille in 2018. Um, so this is it. And he'll be he'll be chomping at the bit, you know, to really excel. It really just depends on sort of what shape does the team face, you know, how important. Is he going to be? I think while him and Torvan are very complimentary, you get the idea there's really only space for one of them in, in the team, um, even though Torvan's probably started the better three goals and four assists in his first seven games. But, you know, Pyatt loves to, you know, show up for the big games and it'll be interesting. And I think the fact that he hasn't played at the weekend actually works in our favour mm -hmm. um, in that he's, he's, you know, he's been bound for three games for, for that red card against Lyon. So it really gives him, you know, just one clear view in the Champions League. There's no sort of risk of injury as well in these league games, which over the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be facing weaker teams in the bottom half of the league, which is perfect for, for OM to really gain that foothold um, in the group. 
so yeah fingers crossed um he was absolutely instrumental in 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 2017-18 in that Europa League runs the final he scored an incredible goal I think he was second in the player of the season um before after Griezmann that year he was absolutely stellar in Europe so fingers crossed that it happens again I mean, it sounds like Payet is going to have a lot of motivation. He hasn't played in a couple of games. First time back in the Champions League after a long time. It just made me think, we have a lot of French players or, well, French-speaking players <laughs> yeah. in our team coming from Ligue 2 or Ligue 1 as well. And uh, even Yannin Bia, I think it's his first time playing in the Champions League mm-hmm. in, his, in his career. You've got Hussein um, Bar at the back. Uh, a lot of players, you know, it's um, for them. It's a great opportunity to be to be seen on the world stage against a French team. I think even more motivation. So I think that's going to be that's going to be super interesting. And the midfield battle with uh, between Envia and uh, and Paye potentially, and and you know the involvement of of Bar Valbuena against his old team. It's going to be a super exciting game. Definitely now. Uh, Mo, I wanted to ask you a question, a uh, question that we got on social media and a DM, and I'm going to flip it to Lambro and Costa after that. So the question I had for you is, are there any players in your camp, Olympiacos players, that some of the fans or maybe some of the media in Marseille have been, are concerned with? Any players that they kind of believe could be the dangerous guys for Olympiacos? Um, well, I think it's very easy to sort of start off that question with uh, Buenos, <laughs> the first person <laughs> that they're obviously going to look at. Um, I think he's done really well. Uh, I get particularly in Europe. I don't know, you know, yes. how comprehensive he's been, but he, I think he's been showing up, still sort of having it. Put that in quote marks at the age of, of thirty-six. So he's he's ideally sort of uh, a very key um, outlet and Yusuf Al Arabi in particular. Um, you know, he played for Khan, uh, a league a league two team now, but uh, in in the it was in league one for quite a while, and they fell off the radar because he was in Asia for 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 a little bit. But he's he's looked very very strong, and in particular in the UK, I mean his performance against Arsenal was very well regarded. So the fact that he's still sort of launching relatively twenty goal seasons um, at that age, and it's, not, it's absolutely nothing to be. Uh, sniffed about. So, I mean, I think while the French media sort of will gravitate towards your Babuena and then Villa, you've got, you know, for me, Yusuf Al-Arabi uh, in, in, in particular. I know Cholebas, who, who perhaps hasn't been quite proficient in England with the Premier League, but like Mandanda would be one of the sort of guys that's still standing from that the last time we played Olympiacos from from you know 2011 and that period as well. So this is a player with you know very very strong European experience and and you know it, it counts in these in these moments. But beyond that, you know, uh, you mentioned in your last segment that a lot of people sort of really rule out Olympiacos because it's the Greek league and so on and so forth. But I think with Marseille, it's an understanding that a you know Marseille is coming back into the Champions League in sort of an infancy mode where they haven't been there for a long time and this is the first step but also there's an understanding that Olympiacos are not going to be pushovers they're a team with lots of European experience they are mainstays um, of the Champions League in, in regular periods you know they they have the the grounding um, in Europe that a lot of teams and then you know, I'm talking about your teams like you know Manchester City etc who 
who really only come into you know the latter stages of Europe because of petro dollars but really still you know the fact they're failing in latter stages because they actually you know been in these situations for more than once etc Paris Saint-Germain is another example of stepping they reached the final this year so that sort of goes away a little bit but Olympiacos absolutely no pushovers and there are far better teams to play against and to test yourself against particularly in Preos than say if we were to be drawn against Red Bull Salzburg um, who I think is only would be their second campaign in the Champions League um, so it's it's a great opportunity and we've got fantastic memories of of Olympiacos winning over there um, they did beat us in, in Marseille but we, we won there on the first match day of 2011 and that was a great catalyst because Dortmund were in the group and Arsenal were in the group to really you know get a hold in 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 that group and then qualify for the quarterfinals eventually and obviously the great memories of Matthew Valbuena with an 88th minute winner at Dortmund that eventually got us through and eliminated Olympiacos as well so fantastic memories of that it's it's, it's great to sort of be in this competition with with a very reputable team and hopefully you know a, a win tomorrow on Wednesday will really set Marseille straight. And I think personally it would be probably the second best victory because it comes away from home. It'll be the second best victory of the season, obviously after Paris Saint-Germain. Now, Lambro and Costa, you've gotten the take from Marseille. So who do you guys think will be our key players for this match? Again, thank you for the question, Libyakos Turkey. Uh, just to start off, I think actually a surprise one is going to be Rafinha. I think Rafinha will be very important at right back. And I think, well, actually, you know, I'll say both fullbacks. I'll just group them together. I think both fullbacks, whoever plays on the left, and Rafinha. And I think Rafinha's experience in Europe is going to be very big. And then I would say Madi Kamara. I think this is a huge game for Madi playing against a French team, which he knows very well as a French speaker. He knows how big this club is that he's playing against. And he knows a lot of French-speaking people will be watching, and it could be written up in the newspapers there. So one, Madi Kamara. If we have a good game from Mari Kamara, that, that, that'll be huge. If we're going to play in this 4-3-3, we're going to need him to make runs forward. We need him to be more creative. He missed chances against Ammonia, which, okay, wasn't so big in the end. But against Marseille, a top team, he's going to have to perform. He's got he's to gotta create. This is his moment, and I think this could be a, a massive game for him and a game in which I think your European fans will learn his name if he does play well. I think what you just said is perfect. I think remembering back to our first game in the Champions League group stage last year, it was Pedense's breakout game, you know? And yep. I think in the end, that secured his transfer to Wolves into the Premier League. We know that Maddy was, was being looked at by some Premier League clubs over the summer. Our, his transfer value is, is high, or at least, you know, we're looking at above 20 million euro to sell him. I think tomorrow is a great opportunity for him. And I think he he knows that. And I expect a big game from him tomorrow. Uh, I expect him to go in there and dominate that midfield. And he's somebody actually that we, we haven't talked about a lot on this podcast. Uh, Mo, I don't know what you've seen of him, but this is a guy that came in from League Two. You know, he was not bought in to be a starting player and he's his improvement has been yep. unbelievable over over the last two seasons. Um, so, you know, he's a, he's a standout player for us. And I think, I think it could be a breakout game for him tomorrow. And, uh, and maybe to add to that, 
you know, Yusef up front, he's he's key. He's uh, he's got confidence. He's just scored a hat trick over the weekend. And uh, listening to you talking about this other thin defender coming in to to replace your ball playing centre back, I think uh, yeah, your centre backs are definitely going to have work with him. And uh, and I'm going to give a shout out to my man Costas Fortunis as well. Whether he doesn't, start, <laughs> whether he comes off the bench, he's going to be a nuisance for the Marseille defence when he comes on. You beat me to the punch. I was going to go a little bit one further, take a hot take here. And I was going to say that, you know, first half I think is going to be kind of like a battle of attrition. I think it might be ugly. I think it's going to be uh, a tough fight. Maybe we'll come out of the half with a draw. And then I think maybe Fortunis will be subbed in as an impact sub and, you know, really get things going in the forward. Then hopefully that means you know, we can get a goal out of that and not suffer off the counter. That's kind of what I see. We, you've all addressed who I think we, you know, it's pretty obvious who the, the other key guys will be. Who knows? Maybe there will be some context for one of those Radejevic wonder Champions League performances. I don't really see that we'll be able to get too much on the counter in terms of the context revolving around the tactics in this game, I don't really think we'll see too much of that. Uh, but who knows? You know, Radejevic seems to show up for these Champions League games, whether it's qualifiers or, you know, he can really bring something in, in this context. So I that's kind of for me what I think uh, we're going to see. Now, Mo, you've already talked about kind of the key players for Marseille. But what do you believe the context of this game will be for Marseille? Who do you think is going to be the key guy for this? And what do you think is going to play out? So, yeah, I've touched upon sort of Marseille's sort of focus for the Champions League this mm -hmm. year. And just to reiterate, it will be very much a see-how-it-goes campaign. Like I said, it's going to be a tough fight, but not an non impossible fight. Mm -hmm. And I think... Marseille would be very pleased if they ended up getting Europa League out of this and finishing third. But it it would be fantastic to start, first of all, with three points, just as they did nine years ago. Um, a way to Olympiacos to set yourself up, especially with Man City coming to the Velodrome next week. Um, it's also the fact that the last time Marseille were in the Champions League, in a group with still Arsenal and Dortmund, but this time Napoli replacing Olympiacos, a very young team with, it was Tor van den Pyatt's first season and a season where Marseille brought a lot of sort of young talents um, from League 1 but also League 2 as well. Um, and they ended up losing all six games, which was a first for, for a big team like Marseille. Um, you'd really get you know, your teams from perhaps Eastern Europe or, or first-time debutants in, in the Champions League to lose six in a row. But it was Marseille that suffered this year and it's really been sort of a, something of a millstone around the neck um, for Marseille fans all these years. So the quicker that we get points on the board, the better. <laughs> um, and in particular, Torvan the Pirate did feature in this campaign in Mandanda as well, back in 2013-14. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was no embarrassment. I think the games were very close, but obviously, you know, six defeats out of six with no points is, is a little bit embarrassing. So the onus is to start hard and, you know, start... You know, aside from the probably the fixture with Olympiacos in the velodrome, which, to be honest, given the pandemic at the moment, a home advantage doesn't really count. Uh, so it doesn't matter where you play them, as long as you know you you can tactically overcome them. So you know, Tolvan is going to be the focal point, and Payet will be back. So both of them really, 
because of their sort of prolific starts to the season in particular. And Stev Mondander in goal, you know, given the fact that he's 35 now, has been incredible. And I, I think he's been the player in not for not just for Marseille this season, but in Ligue 1 in general, perhaps alongside Lyon's Memphis Depay. He's he saved Marseille several times. He's looked so acrobatic and so almost youthful, uh, pulling off world-class saves and he's really earned Marseille points in his own. He's really ever-present. So he's going to be an important factor tomorrow, uh, especially if, as I perhaps expect, Olympiacos will be allowed to be on the front foot and, and Marseille will seek to sort of be on the counter and absorb that pressure is because it's a format that Andre Villas-Boas has, has yeah. utilised to great effect with teams that are, are at home. We've played PSG and Lyon away from home, like we'll do in, in, in Greece on Wednesday, um, and allowing the home teams to really just come up uh, and we just you know frustrate them and hit them on the counter, which has worked to great effect. So for that, Mondanda will be imperative. Um, and Torgan and Payet, they don't need many chances. They just need one or two. And they've been efficient to that effect. But personally, I, I think I'll chalk it down to a 1-1 draw. Yeah, uh, They've definitely been efficient. Uh, funny enough, in the last five games, uh, Marseille's had 45 shots, nine on target. But of those nine on target, four were goals. That's a pretty good conversion rate. Now, as we begin to kind of close things up here, I want hot takes from everybody. I want a goal. I want our score line from everybody. Mo, you kind of gave us a teaser already. I gave some context already. I think uh, it's going to be 0-0. And then I think maybe second half, Fortunis comes on. And we're going to get that one nothing. Just eke out the win there. Lambro, what's your hot take? So, 4-3-3 we're playing with. I'm going to go nil-nil at halftime like we have been doing all season. And actually, I, I foresee us scoring, Marseille coming at us, bringing it 1-1. And I will say, Ruben Tomato is going to give away a penalty. That's going to be how they score. And then Fortunis <laughs> creating a goal. John Van Schip crying from the Greek national team. Fortunis wins us the game. And <laughs> as the saying is with Olympiakos right now, and has been for the past few years, we keep on dreaming. Dreaming for second place, you know, I'm craving that round of 16. I'm, you know, we, we haven't had it in six years and it would be so big for our club. It would be so big. We, we've gotten unlucky with these draws, you know, I just, I, I'm, we have a chance, you know, I said this in one of the previous, we have a chance and I'm, I'm dreaming of 16 and I'm dreaming of doing something in the Champions League this year and we need a win to start off. I'm sorry, Mo, but we need a win so bad. So <laughs> you know, that's what I'm you know, if, if we if we if we don't get it, I hope you guys do. Um, <laughs> I, I really hope that. <laughs> yeah. Likewise, Costa, where are you at? Tough one. If we had a proper preseason, I'd say win. Um, kind of leaning towards what Mo said as well. Maybe a one-one draw. Uh, Anything but a defeat, obviously. We don't want to lose on our first game. If I were being optimistic, I'd say 1-0 Balbuena penalty, just so it hurts that little bit more. The guests are always very diplomatic in these. They're all, it's always the draw. Everybody, Nobody wants to, <laughs> to predict the win. But uh, no, we love it. And uh, before we do close up, uh, Mo, uh, we want to give you a chance. Any shout-outs? Uh, plug anything you want. Uh, any final thoughts? Now's your chance. Um, well, yeah, maybe my final final thought would be um, 
it'd be obviously fantastic to see Matthew Valbuena again. For some reason, it, it's descended into a love-hate relationship, which I don't think we've touched upon um, in this podcast. Uh, you know, he's been a, a long-time servant of OM, eight seasons, league champion, six trophies, been in the France team, um, has scored some very important goals and had his shirt number retired at the age of, I think, 27, 28. Uh, and then went to Russia, came back and signed for Lyon. Um, and descended into really, really misery, um, in which his first game back was met with riot police, effigies, really rough tackles, uh, which saw a player sent off and perhaps another one hauled in front of the court. But um, it's been a couple of years now he's been in Greece. Uh, most fans have sort of let bygones be bygones. And I think his love for OM is, is still paramount. And, uh, you know, he's, he's a fantastic player. He's, he's a club legend. Um, and the fact that he's in the Champions League still at this age and, you know, perhaps the first teamer as well, sort of is testament to his quality. So I think this is a great opportunity to sort of pay tribute to him. But also uh, I look forward to hopefully a game with lots of chance, lots of goals. And if um, I are going to score, I really do hope it is him. Those exaggerated reactions to players, they're the biggest sign of love, I would say, you know. Absolutely. Mo, do you have any plugs? Anybody you want to shout out? Any accounts uh, you want people to follow? None, none. Um, but yeah, no, if you are interested in OM, and obviously I think in the Champions League campaign, do do hit that follow button and uh, look forward to speaking to you know guys and engaging some thoughts and also look into a good game this week. Absolutely, guys. Don't forget you can follow him at Muhammad Ali, spelled exactly how it sounds, M-O-H-A-M-M-E-D-A-L-I underscore 93. Follow him on Twitter. Get lots of updates. We'll probably throw out some banter as well, some friendly, make everything interesting. Costa, how about you? Any plugs, any shout-outs, final thoughts? No, thanks for having me on again, guys. Um, it's been a pleasure talking to all of you and Mo in particular. Um, great to get your insights. And, yeah, looking forward to a, a good game on Wednesday and – Hopefully we can get the, the campaign started well. And yeah, you guys keep doing what you're doing. Congratulations on podcast number 19. 19's yeah. a good number. David Fuster wore that number. I thought about that years. earlier. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite players to have, to have put on a red and white jersey. Keep it up, guys. Thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, guys, again, especially if you don't remember, you can follow Constantine at Olibiakos EU. That's Olibiakos with a C. Lots of great content from him. He badgers us about Hassan. Uh, always fun, great interactions. And thank you, everyone who's joining in, especially if you've made it this far. This is our two-month anniversary episode. The podcast has been around for two months. The support has been incredible. You know, we've said... Time and time again, we never, ever, ever thought this project would get to be where it is. We get to meet wonderful people, meet wonderful friends, just like Costa, Bob Bean, Steve Goduru, now Mo. Great conversations. And Mo, we hope you're able to join us in the return leg, too. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks for the invite. It's been a real big pleasure speaking to you guys. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Wonderful. Wonderful to have you. Thank you again for coming. And again, thank you everyone that's made it this far. We look forward to seeing you for our midweek episode. Like we mentioned, Michael Vicini will be joining us from Elas Football. And we're going to be talking about that derby of eternal enemies, uh, as well as what's going on with the club. So 
Thank you for listening this long. Give us a like, give us a follow, and please engage us on social media. The community is fantastic and join the conversation. It's wonderful. We got to keep the Greek football community together. Thank you everyone and have a wonderful rest of your day.